Hello and welcome to the Noise Podcast, sponsored by Stereo Brain Records and brought to you as part of the Noise Podcast Network. I'm today's host, definitely not your boy, but instead your very tired man, Jack Holloway. Uh, <laughs> I'm joined by Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Feels weird to say. Uh, and Noise's biggest hot take, Elliot Grimmie. Uh, <laughs> welcome both. Hello, Sam. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm um, looking forward to a podcast where we're definitely going to agree all at once, all the way through. The first it's time a really, it's a really happy place for us all to be in. Getting getting me and Elliot on a podcast where we actually enjoy the same thing simultaneously feels a little bit like when they got Israel and Palestine in the room the first time. Yeah, context for that. Any other any other record almost this doesn't work. So getting you mm-hmm. two in the same room for something this this is this feels like safe territory, but I could be <laughs> wrong. And I'm as you can tell, I'm really excited because I'm really bouncy and really like, yay, we're going to talk about Lincoln Park on the podcast. Um, <laughs> and don't I think we have for me, please. We have managed to grab the three biggest Lincoln Park fans in noise and just yay, <laughs> shove us together and just see what happens. Yeah, yeah, give it to me, uh, Elliot. Welcome. Uh, not your first rodeo, but you know, relatively Hello. new here still. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm about as excited as you guys, to be honest. Get to mm. we get we get to talk about something we actually care about. I think all <laughs> all of us were simultaneously thinking that you know when uh, Meteor twentieth anniversary edition was announced that we should do something, and then it just all mm. sort of I think we synced up. I think that's more what happened than anything else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you haven't guessed already, uh, slightly different to what we we usually do. We're usually a rock and metal reviews podcast uh, coming at you sort of every two weeks or so with a couple of reviews on current records but with a really special release uh that's coming up for lincoln park on friday uh celebrating 20 years i mean sorry 20 years oh god (laughs) i'll get on to it 20 years of meteora um they are releasing an anniversary edition uh of the grammy award nominated multi-platinum sophomore album which feels ridiculous to say uh, as usual with a re-release of this scale, I don't think anyone quite does it like Linkin Park. Um, as you would expect, they've gone all in. Aside from the artwork, insane kind of packages that you can purchase as a fan, videos, additional content, the band are releasing an impressive track list uh, that includes tracks from Live in Texas, which is one of mine and Sam's favourite shared live moments. And I hope it's the same for you, Elliot, because it's special. Um, it has got Live in Nottingham 2003. It's got tracks from Project Revolution. It's got demos, original versions of tracks, and unreleased songs. And it works out as something like the album plus 76 tracks. <laughs> Just like, it, and it frustrates me that they've had it in the locker, but we'll come on to it. We'll come mm. on to it. Um, as we record this, both Lost and Fighting Myself have been released from the LP archives. We've lost having the biggest debut uh, for a rock song in recent memory in the US, with it being a number one signal, uh, single and scoring their highest charting single in the UK since 2007. Uh, it's the biggest rock song in the US of 2023 so far. And uh, yeah, their, their, most, their previously most co- commercially successful was What I've Done, which would be no surprise to anyone uh, because Transformers in it. Um, <laughs> Uh, either of you, when I say that for Lost and hearing that, are you surprised? No. No. <laughs> no. 
not are particularly. You just, are, you, are you also yeah, like nor am I? But are you also like I can't believe this band have had this song just sort of tucked away. I think I they, feel like it's interesting because obviously I remember uh, either watching or reading an interview with Mike where he basically disclosed that the reason that this song was never included on the on the record in the first place was that it was too tonally similar to I think it was numb um, and we literally like in an alternate timeline we could have had lost having already been out for 20 years and numb coming out of the vault and doing uh what what lost has just done effectively um that they're both great songs but yeah it like you know as you said earlier it feels kind of criminal that this song has just been locked away in a vault for so long when it is that good like it's it's crazy it's mental, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't. It it doesn't surprise me at all. Sam, did that surprise you? No, I think it it more confirms a few things. If you look at this wider, I think Linkin Park's role really outside of Foo Fighters are probably the biggest selling American rock band of the last twenty years by with a bullet, really. Um, seven time platinum, Meteoros, Meteora was in two thousand and three, and anything it it speaks to a particular time stamp and i want to talk about this a little bit more in detail a little bit later so hold on a lot of stuff like that but it's this this particular album is um so specifically tailored to this uh to the era that existed in music at the time really the tail end of the new metal era and linkin part was fast forwarding towards this more electronic um style that they, they adopted later on and all that type of stuff but I think it speaks to the power of that period of time in people's minds that a song that is, as Elliot points out, is reminiscent of Numb, tonally. Um, still still feels strong in its own, but it is the pull of that period of time is still so strong that people are flocking back to it. Meteora's having like a having a moment. Um and it's 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 representative of the cocktail of things, obviously Chester's death and the nostalgia of that. Um, that will always be an element of it that's pushed this to the fore. But you actually think about the fact that really Meteora is one of the three to four most successful rock albums of the 21st century and one of the three to four really last albums of the 21st century from that genre that I would argue was culturally impactful with the crossover that happened with Jay-Z later and, and, and new metal being an actual part of modern popular culture. That was probably the last timestamp where metal bands are actually socially relevant outside of the alternative genre. And I think this being released 20 years later, without without an ability to tour it, without Chester even being alive, it just they're immediately on Howard Stern. They're immediately it, it just speaks to how powerful that period of time was. Like I don't know how how, how well you guys remember that period of time, but I have vivid memories of like bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit and Linkin. In park being part of the modern cultural zeitgeist they were on talk shows they were on top of the pops they were on radio interviews not like tucked away in our little corners of twitter and reddit like we have metal bands now but they were genuinely part of modern society and this this is almost nice for me obviously now i'm going through now i'm 30 i'm having a big life crisis obviously experiencing this music um but it's remind it's reminiscent of a period of time where where rock was was a real part of culture and um people gravitating to lost even though 
it's so close to the stuff that's already out there is evidence that there's large swathes of culture that are still craving for bands like that and rock music to still be a part of our, our modern day to day in a larger sense, I think. You're bang on, man. Absolutely bang on. I'm going to rewind a little bit and set the scene um, because what we're going to do today is we're going to talk less about the 20th anniversary edition and we're going to consider uh, Meteor at the time. Its impact, its influence, how it kind of, you know, where it sits and particularly after the debut. I mean, Linkin Park emerged as one of the best selling artists of the last 20 years. Sam, you touched upon that. That's largely thanks to their Diamond certified debut, Hybrid Theory. Um, which stands as, I think, the best-selling debut of the 21st century, full stop, <laughs> which is um, absurd. It's got US sales in excess of 11 million and worldwide, worldwide sales of over 55 million. Um, now, put yourself in the band's position at that point, and they've got to follow <laughs> that up. <laughs> and And I can't imagine how that must have felt for the band. And I remember they've given interviews in the past where they said that it wasn't almost the commercial success pressure that was getting to them because they were kind of aware at that point that they'd struck something that just hit and and replicating that was going to get them nowhere uh but that they wanted to artistically move things in the right direction and take what they what they'd done on um hybrid theory and and, and put it into meteora and kind of make it bigger and, and bolder um critical reception wise it had it had that sort of general reception it was you know this is hybrid theory 2.0 at the time so weird looking back on reviews at the time um but very much that it was a continuation of the sound in the same sort of ballpark which is i guess fair enough and i guess where they were sort of going um the album took them around a year as in Meteora, took them around a year to record, which opposed to Hybrid Theory, which was just kind of bottlenecked into this really short period of time and thrown out. Um, they had a bit more time to stew on it. Um, it was the, I believe, eighth best selling album of the 21st century, Meteora. Uh, Sam, you said earlier, it was seven times platinum in the US. Uh, the band have talked about those pressures that they felt coming off the back of it. So, that kind of teases up for where Meteor is at the time. Before we get into that, what was your introduction to Meteor specifically? If that includes hybrid theory and a sort of rollover from that, that's fine. But in terms of when you were first listening to Meteora, and I'll come to you first, Elliot, what what was that for you? Where did it come from? Was it one track? Was it the whole album? How did you get introduced to Meteora? Um, so it's an interesting one because with Linkin Park, so uh, I grew up like, I mean, when the noughties hit, I was literally five in the year 2000, right? And I used to have MTV on a lot when I was younger, when MTV still, you know, frequently played music. Um, and as Sam was saying earlier, a lot of the bands that were culturally relevant at that time, you would turn MTV on and you would have Linkin Park, Corn, Limp Biscuit, fucking um, uh, Bowling for Soup, Papa Roach. They were all... The bands that were being played um and lincoln park would quite frequently come on uh with numb i would see somewhere i belong i would see breaking the habit um but these songs again i was really really young i was still a kid 
Um, so it wasn't until um, Minutes to Midnight, the album after, had released that I really started grasping a concept of who Linkin Park were as a band. So I kind of worked backwards um, and um, I became effectively around that third album. I became like a mega fan of the band and went back through, you know, Hybrid Theory, Meteora. Um, and I remember in particular with Meteora being absolutely obsessed with breaking the habit it was my favorite song i had that song on repeat all the time i loved the animated music video for it um they'd the the whole style around uh meteora like you know when you're young and impressionable and you have this you're, you're trying to sort of fit into some sort of sense of belonging and linkin park had that for me like what i I guess modeled myself on the kind of music I got into uh through Linkin Park, through Meteora, through that new metal sort of rap rock blend um that the band were presenting definitely molded me going forward. Um probably more than any other band that I have ever listened to has. Like um and a, and obviously a large part of that was the songs on on Meteora. I mean faint um arguably so i used to be i used to always like oh i don't like rap music i don't like rap music and then lincoln park came into the into the fray and suddenly you know i was listening to faint i was listening to um like nobody's listening that's an underrated banger um and then suddenly i realized actually i don't dislike rap i just and being selective and obviously as the years have gone on that's expanded but again it all goes back to linkin park and meteora and those especially those rap heavy songs that mike features very prominently on um so yeah i think a lot of people would agree with linkin park especially meteora then having two bodies of work out for people to formulate like kind of like a almost like an identity on um definitely would have shaped people going forward into how expansive their music taste could then become what a time to be alive for you where you're stumbling <laughs> in on minutes and then uh, mm. get to track backwards unknowingly uh finding out that that it just gets better and better sam yeah. how about you i feel like you'd be in since hybrid but maybe i'm wrong no no uh, i heard hybrid at the time that it came out i was actually Weird story without trying to get of a tangent. Liam Payne from One Direction sat me down and shoved in Hybrid Theory. I remember. Um, yeah, in an Elston Hall primary, in our primary school classroom. It was like about the end of year, the end of year five, and we could all bring in something from home. And he brought in a Linkin Park CD. And he was like, oh, you should check this band out. And he showed me them. And I was like, you know, this is, but I was like 10. I was like, Liam Payne, by the way, Undercover Grebo. <laughs> Just, um, version, just come out and do it. Just come out. Just come out and do a version of Death, bro. I know you really want to. Um, <laughs> and I at the time, I was I had just started getting into more classic rock. So for me, I grew up in a more like sort of traditional heavy metal environment with my parents and stuff. This is like ACDC and Iron Maiden and things like that. And I went down that route first. My first real interaction where I really immersed myself in Linkin Park was actually hearing them. At the live out gig in two thousand and five, um, there was they were flicking between London and Philadelphia, and Linkin Park did a Philadelphia gig, and they did, I think they did two songs. I think they did in the end, then they brought Jay Z out, but none. And Amazing. I remember hearing that, and I was like, "This is really interesting," because at the time I was still I was getting into more classic rock and riffs and stuff, 
but I was when I was seven years old in 2000. So obviously I was into Eminem because that's that's you had to be right. It was like a rite of passage for any white boy under the age of nine, um, pre 9 11. Is you were you were a big Eminem fan, and um, that's just, just it. It's just it. It's just it. You had a flaming shirt and the first Marshall Mathers LP, and that was who you were. And then later you bought Bionicles and tried to find a girlfriend, and that's just how life was for you. Um, so cold out. It's true, bro. It's Bang true, on. isn't it? Yeah. It's true. It's it. Like I reckon, there's about four million men in this world, in our country right now, that you can just draw a line of delineation from Pokemon cards, all all the way all the way along, and it's just like just cultural little stopping points, and that's just that's our generation. But Bionicles, anyway, so Bionicles were great. Oh, bro, I think I've still got them somewhere. Um, just Bionicle to Lincoln Park pipeline. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Bionicle supremacy um but but like anyway so i heard this i heard this gig and and honestly because it was a at the time i was i was quite sad looking back now that i kind of missed the boat when like because i heard i remember hearing like limp biscuit on like children's tv shows this is this is the thing i'm talking about like we used to watch like SNTV live i'm hoping there's some nods um in like with cat dealy and anton deck and stuff and limp biscuit were like a musical guest and it was like that was Limp Biscuit. Now let's find out what Ash is doing in the Indigo League, bro. Like, what a time to be alive! And I feel like I missed that boat a little bit, getting to Linkin Park a little bit later on. But when I heard Linkin Park, it was the perfect um, confluence of my burgeoning interest in rap, as Elliot describes, and that simplistic riff work that I, that was actually kind of oddly reminiscent. If you like, if you if you got to you got to see yourself to me. Imagine that you were just listening to ACDC for the first time for like eighteen months, and you kind of hear Linkin Park riffs. There's kind of like an odd simplistic similarity between them that you can kind of just make a leap. And that for me was was really really interesting. Linkin Park were the first band that I felt that were mine. So I'd I'd got into music through my parents, but it was always like I was just it was almost like wearing your dad's old shirt. Like it it was cool, but it like it was never yours type of thing. It was like an inheritance. But Linkin Park actually found like the first band that was actually cultivated for my own identity, which was really cool. And then I bought the live album, Jack, live in Texas. I actually bought that before buying any of the studio records because it was both albums. So I thought that this would be a good introduction because it would contain both. And then obviously you watch the DVD and I was, I was well in from there. And I bought the first album I bought with my own money was Meteor about a few months later. And that, that was it really. So Linky Park for me were really the epicenter of my own musical journey which is which is really cool to see how that if some with the other people experience at the same level of nostalgia associated with that band i had a similar experience to <clears throat> elliot in that i'd stumbled across singles here and there um from various albums up to and including a thousand sons and and it was at that point that i started to go for the albums what you're talking like 2010 by the time that I'm going through the albums one by one, which is crazy considering the sort of Linkin Park fan that I am now. And that resonates for me, Sam, what you say about missing it at the time. And we were talking about it a little bit the other day. And I just wish I could have been in that. Uh, you know, there's certain parts of Linkin Park's history <sighs> that I've been part of that I feel very lucky. There's Hybrid Fury at Download Festival and there's Chester's last ever gig, Sam, that you and I were both uh, at, yeah. both the most poignant live moment probably in retrospect ever uh and may may ever be for me but but those early days those golden days you know seeing that and being part of that 
that's something I've stumbled back on and had to just relive through all of those YouTube clips, interviews and things like that. And it's funny, it also it somewhat captures that sense. I, I still feel a sense of nostalgia, even though I wasn't there, uh, which I think is it, it's very telling. Um, my first stumble onto Meteora was probably the first bit of what I would thought, what I would consider at the time to be heavy music for me, that gateway. Uh, and it was lying from you. And it was on a Final Fantasy video on YouTube because um, I was really into Final Fantasy VII. And I was just scrolling through different stuff because I just like to see different things where clouds just knocking about doing cool shit. And someone had just clipped, obviously clipped together something where they put Lion from you on. And I was like, whatever this is, it's amazing. Um, and that, yeah. And then just started to track back through. And it's, yeah, I, personally, Meteor is my favorite Linkin Park album as well. Um, as, a, as an avid fan of, I would suggest all of their albums. <laughs> I know that there's not people like that. Uh, there's different kinds of Linkin Park fans, just like Star Wars mm. fans. Uh, I love them all, but Meteora for me is probably just tips it. So I reckon. Uh, no, go on, Elliot. I reckon there's a, a high possibility that Linkin Park probably also have the highest ratio of like anime music videos, <laughs> like the Final Fantasy one that you that you found on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it somehow that was a gateway. I'm not even like a huge anime fan, but <laughs> yeah. it got me at the time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about. We're at the time of we obviously we're all talking about this, and we weren't quite there at the time. But how important is this release for Linkin Park at that time? You've dropped Hybrid Theory. You've toured extensively for two years. You sat in the studio. What, what, what is that? What does that album mean for them at that time? I think, in terms of the work, the way their career, the fact that they, it's weird. It's weird looking back because if you if you read some of the interviews, they had a lot of the songs already ready to go. Yeah, true. And it was just a case of sort of structuring them and things like that. A lot of the stuff they wrote on the Hybrid Theory tour, and um, it, not necessarily a case of finalising because it's different to the album. And and one of the one of the interesting actual criticisms, or it depends on how you see it, is that this album is very produced, um, and very clearly meticulously placed together. Um, I think uh, if you listen to some of some of the re- some of the reviews of it, they're not all as weirdly weirdly glowing as well so I, obviously this it's it's an interesting conversation how much of this is sort of rooted in um our own particular fandom really i mean like q q called it a less an artistic endeavor than an exercise in target marketing is what q called it um and you can actually listen listening to it it was very clear that the linkin park were in this three-year period where they'd wrote, uh, they'd written, sorry, they'd written maybe 30 songs in this particular style that coincided with this cultural development. And I think if they had just written the, the 12 tracks that are on hybrid theory and hadn't written the additional 15 that they then structured to Meteora, there's a chance that Meteora sound incredibly diff- sounds incredibly different because I don't think that band would have made the conscious choice to replicate. I think what happened was they had 30, 25 to 30 songs from that three-year period. They Obviously, the hybrid theory ones had already gone, but that 2001, 2003 period, they had an additional chunk of songs from touring, and they perfected those 
and made those as palatable and well mixed and 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 well constructed as possible. And when you hear what they did four years later with Minutes to Midnight, you could make the argument that Meteor is less of a continuation of, or more, more like it's more likely that they actually tie the bow on new metal really for them in terms of importance they had to prove that they weren't a um a one-off they had to prove that they weren't an anomaly and there were several bands during that period of time that produced massive hit singles that then completely faded um for example linkin park toured with pod in 2003 Do you remember those christ almighty and the bat the bands that they had to cement themselves as a real figure in rock music because i imagine as most of most reviewers at the time, New Metal was actually on the way out by March two thousand and three. New Metal's peak had, had was was in the rearview window, and only an album that was as meticulous and as carefully curated, and really, let's be honest, as radio friendly as Linkin Park's, would have kept New Metal going for the other six to eight months that it did, and then it really gave gave the genre the last kick before really by two thousand and four it was definitely all over. I think it was massively important to Linkin Park's career because it gave them the additional life support to move forward. And then when Minutes of Midnight come out, they completely abandoned new metal almost wholly. And for the for the genre as a whole, it gave it gave the genre as a whole a little bit of life that then extended into the the collaboration with Jay Z. But it's an interesting timestamp. It really, really is. It's like it's almost like pre-war and post-war, like a BC and AD. Because if you just add six months to the release, this, this album's probably completely different and probably much less successful. Um, it's the last great new metal record over like a nine-year period from Korn's first album right up until this one. And nothing but bands in Linkin Park's world ever even wrote music that even remotely sounded like this at that time. It is really fascinating um, listening back and what immediately followed it later. It's funny, isn't it? Because people say that Linkin Park blew up new metal, but then blew up new metal <laughs> and actually killed it. Mm. And that, that think, said quite a lot, isn't it? I think um, like sort of riffing off a couple of points that Sam said, I think on the one hand, it's from a certain point of view, you could argue that Meteora was the singular most important Linkin Park record in the sense that um, they had already made such a massive impact with Hybrid Theory that again like as you said earlier Jack like trying to follow that they had to like there are so many bands in this world that all right you've got your one hit wonders in terms of like there's a band that people know because they've got one big song there are also bands out there that just relentlessly tour one album anniversary after anniversary because it's all they've got going for them now that could have happened to linkin park if they weren't so damn good um so meteora really it was the proving album like okay this band has had like this sudden rise to success with their with their debut um but it's always you know they always call it the difficult second album so they had quite a lot to prove coming out with meteora and for it to um and then again it <laughs> riffing off of what sam said with um, new metal effectively dying afterwards it's because meteora was the peak of it there's what's the point of releasing a new metal record after meteora it's it's been done at the best it can possibly be done like 
people are, people are still trying aren't they uh, well, mm. um we, we might come on to that <laughs> yeah um so do you think that if meteora was a flop like what would that have meant for the band i don't it's think it's over. yeah do you reckon it's done or do you reckon the... that they, they become like an academy sized band like a pod and they just tour every song yeah that really when, good when you when you think of how That's different things to think about minutes to midnight was right. after it now imagine if people didn't like the second album and then they shifted into something completely different because you would still have those fans going like oh man it's not as good as hybrid theory uh, um but at least with meteora like all right yes there was a few people out there at the time sort of saying like oh we didn't like it as much as hybrid theory but there was a, another wave of people um and even to this day you know i come across people that actually say they prefer meteora to hybrid theory those, those albums are kind of like uh not twins but they're, they're kind of like brothers i guess they're siblings you can group them, yeah, yeah, you can group them into lincoln park's new metal era um before they moved on into becoming what i would just classify as an experimental band um but it's yeah if, if that album hadn't done as as well as it had done if it hadn't been similar enough but with enough um like new stuff going on for it and you know it, it did lead into like we've said the, the jay-z stuff it also um important to note that you had um uh i don't want to fumble here reanimation that came that came before, before um uh, before yeah. yeah we didn't get a uh we didn't get many yeah so numb encore and uh the the jay-z mashups were effectively that kind of experimentation that we had off of the back of that so they took someone that was culturally huge at the time jay-z fused it with lincoln park who were also culturally huge at the time and it was an even further merging of um you know sam talked earlier about he came into lincoln park sort of off the back of eminem and rap stuff whereas i came into it off of rock that's in just us two you've got a prime example of the worlds that lincoln park managed to marry um and i would argue that they did that to a further degree with meteora than they did with hybrid theory um because it was mike's rapping is in on on faint and nobody's listening and um i know i've mentioned those two tracks earlier already but that really pulled me into accepting um rap music alongside rock music yeah, I, I I agree with Elliot entirely. You, the, what Meteor did for the band um, gave them the platform to then work with Jay-Z, which then gave them the platform to be probably a consideration for a blockbuster film with what I've done, which which then gave them that which then gave them the platform to essentially do what they wanted for the next mm. 15 years of their career because they had three successive huge selling albums, two of which were completely opposing in style and were equally equally memorable in terms of having this cultural moment it's worth remembering that jay-z just brought out the black album in 2003 which if you if you're putting together any list of top 10 21st century rap albums it's that then a big gap than most of the others um it's the it really is the i don't know what the equivalent is now i, I don't know if it's kendrick lamar working with bring me the horizon or something like that. I've I've tried to make this comparison before. Like, what's what's the cultural equivalent to what that was? Because I don't think there's even a band in 2023, a rock band that's could have done the kind of crossover 
because even bring me down of the American, bring me down of the kind of American success that Linkin Park obviously had, and all the big American bands tend not to cross over here. Bands like 20, 21 Century Pilots, all that sort of stuff, they don't have that kind of appeal either. Maybe, maybe someone like I don't know, Fallout Boy, or maybe even Foo Fighters. But again, that word they're not contemporary to this period in the way that Linkin Park were. So the point that I'm trying to make is that Meteora extended what with the hybrid theory was an incredibly unique moment where because what Linkin Park successfully did was took a nightclub underground style of music and then brought that to a mass audience and then in 2003 cemented that mass audience ironically isolating some of the more like grungy and metal fans who kind of wanted to keep it to like early corn records and things like that and this is what always happens bands get too successful to for like metal fans to enjoy them or something and then and then it cements them in as this other thing linkin park are now were or at the time from 2003 linkin park were a cultural reference point for people outside of the industry meteora and in link and, and hybrid theory is symbiotic in the way that they both did that uh, they both did that for the band. You can't have one without the other because, as Elliot points out, we are just having 20th anniversary shows for Hybrid Theory. They're playing in an academy. We're here in the end at 3 a.m. in nightclubs. People are like, oh, do you remember that? You know, I don't know, it's nothing against them, but if Linkin Park don't bring out Meteora, there's not a great deal of difference between them and the darkness with permission to land. In the sense that 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 was a huge selling album within this country. That's actually the album I thought of when I was saying about bands before. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, and, it, and it's a class Elliot. album. I thought you were a massive class darkness, album. Man. Cool. So, uh, Meteoro wasn't a flop. Few, um, and looking back in retrospect now at how important I guess both Hybrid Theory and Meteoro were in terms of their impact and influence, it's still clear today. How much of an influence do we feel Meteora has had on music that followed? What were the key moments following it? And is it still is it still influencing now? Are we still saying that that is an influential album now? I know 100%. Yeah, I think so. It's just dominoes, that's all. Just dominoes. Would say, so, like, would you say that this, like, those two albums were the setup for what you would, what, what? Because Sam, you're really good at drawing on this, uh, those sort of subgenres, and you know, in that big metal list that you put together, the, mm. the, the cultural impact, impact, and then what it meant. What are we looking at? What did, what did Hybrid Theory set up that Meteora solidified, and what does that mean for music now? Where are we now? Okay. Yeah. First of all, thank. First of all, thank you. It's very nice to say. Um, but I would I would say rather than the genre stuff because it's interesting the, the Linkin Park influence for me doesn't stretch actually the musical stuff it's the the notion of what a band can be experimentally and artistically now if you take Linkin Park out there's about thirty years difference between like Nine Inch Nails and Bring Me the Horizon and then later bands like Sleep Token even uh, in terms of bands that are taking different styles and melding them together with with real impunity and. What Linkin Park managed to do over the course of their career is accrue a level of of trust from the record label, a level of autonomy among themselves as musicians to essentially just do what they liked. And 
that's the benefit of being able to write consecutive hit albums early in your career is that you have the ability to to have that kind of artistic freedom bands like parkway drive and bring me the horizon have found out that you have to sell a lot of records to be able to get that artistic autonomy later on whereas linkin park had the, had the almost the the gift of being successful early enough to be from their third album they were like we can just we just do what we like now and that relationship between record labels and musicians has been a shifting one. And I would say now that the, the gap is greater than it's ever been in terms of the decisions that bands are making amongst themselves and the band, the decisions that record labels would like bands to make, that gap is further and further apart. And I, I think that Linkin Park were one of the, the real bands that continued that separation through the 21st century. Um, there's a really famous story in the, in the, the, the early 90s. Um, Trent Reznor talks about uh, meeting Jimmy Iovine. And Nine Inch Nails had brought out maybe one record. They were trapped in a um, a record deal. And Jimmy Iovine was about to set up Interscope, which became the record label of the 90s. He signed Marilyn Manson and No Doubt and um, attached himself to all the rap stuff that was going on. It was just massively successful. And Trent Reznor was joking that Jimmy Iovine sat in a meeting and said, what do you want? And Trent Reznor said, I want to write my own album, choose the artwork, write all the songs myself, choose the singles, give them to you and you just put it out. Jimmy Ivey went, yeah, what else do you want? He said, all right, I want to pick my own studio. I don't want my own producer and I want to tour with who I want and when I want and how long for. Jimmy Ivey said, what else do you want? And Trent Rosa said, I didn't actually have a third thing. I'd run out of stuff by the second thing that he let me have. And it was such a landmark moment at the time for rock artists to be able to then start dictating the process in which they were producing their own music. Linkin Park furthered that, I think, in the 21st century with the level of success. You couple that with the the collaborations with Jay-Z and stuff like that. They became their own entity, separate to the success and values of rock music. That's the thing about Linkin Park that I've always respected massively, is that somewhat like Metallica to a lesser degree, the the success and failure of metal is, is, in, is ineffectual to Linkin Park over the 20-year period. Whatever people were interested in 2009, Linkin Park was still going to put records out and sell fairly well. Whatever people were interested in 2013, that was the same thing. Linkin Park actually became almost bulletproof in the same way that if Iron Maiden bring out an album, as good, bad or indifferent you might feel about it, the same 10 million Iron Maiden fans are going to buy that record and listen to it. They, they have anchored that fan base. And then you look now... Um, the approach that Linkin Park took to be a studio-centred band, to have all this material that they are in control of, they have this direct relationship with their fans, they have these very uh, fan-orientated experiences that are not at all, not even remotely dictated by the record label, actually entirely separate to the record label, where record producers are ringing up Mike and saying, we found this, what do you want to do about it? Rather than some being, someone being like, hey, Chester died, should we see what we can root out? Which is what a lot of record labels did and tried to do with like Prince and Elvis and Michael Jackson, all that type of stuff. The autonomy that exists within Linkin Park's sphere is very unique to that band and has become a open door later on to bands like Bring Me The Horizon that are incredibly experimental. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Sleep Token are the next extension of that. That's that we every every couple of years we've taken a couple of steps forward, right? We get bands that choose their own singles, and then bands that choose their own artwork, and bands that choose their own tours, and bands that choose their own contracts, and bands that choose to record their own stuff, then bands that build their own studios. Then we've got bands like Bring Me the Horizon that are just deciding to release EPs without telling anybody. And then we've got bands like Sleep Token who don't even tell people their names. 
and that that's the delineation of musical control and i think you go all the way back to the late 80s and 90s where bands like nine inch nails and those new metal bands with the small labels were doing their own stuff and not being dictated to bands like metallica were just doing what they wanted because they were huge but like small bands were starting then to, to scratch out their own identities within their record labels and within their fan bases you look at look bands like even bands like while she sleeps right build their own studio completely separate that doesn't happen in 1999 that doesn't happen in 2009 that might not happen in 2012 like this is all very recent developments and bands like sleep token existing we talk about oh it's like it's the slipknot but like with, with sadder music roadrunner knew who slipknot were it was that it was us that didn't know um they all signed contracts in their own names sleep token are completely separate to so that so tangent aside it's actually less about I don't listen to an album and think that reminds me of Linkin Park, but I read PR notes and I read interviews and that reminds me of that thought process and the band that they've become where, like I said, metal could be and has been at various times. I remember like 2014, 2016, where we were like, metal is fucking dying here, falling on its face. We were getting to the end of that deathcore, metalcore run. There was no big metal bands. And Linkin Park could release an album and it's incredibly successful. It's immaterial. And their ability to control their own destiny like that, I think that's the influence, the cultural shifts that have happened. And it's wider as well. I will say it's not just specific to metal. It's not even specific to pop culture in general. The consumer um, is becoming um, proactive in selecting and, and the record labels are dying out now. That relationship is completely shifted. But I think Linkin Park, more than many bands in the 21st century, helped accelerate that shift forwardly and explicitly. And you can see the ripple effects of that even now. Yeah, I think you're right. And just to add to that, uh, that real sense of ethos that they built around the band, I think that's what you see bands really trying to replicate as well. You know, they they had it covered, didn't they? And they had the talent and they had the producer. They had the ability you know, they had the likes of Joe Hahn making their music videos. They had Mike producing what they could do. They could make studio ready stuff on the road. And they were so ahead of their time in that sense, you know. And I think from what they built on Hybrid Theory, Meteora helped them to solidify that. And one of the really interesting things that I find about Linkin Park as well is that is 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 the way that they really capture and hold their fan base. I feel like they do it like no other band has done they were doing it back then with lp underground and the way that they cultivated that and and have been releasing underground albums for years you know some of the demos that you hear now will have been heard by lincoln park fans before in different iterations or whatever it might be and you see that replication now i think you know bring me have kind of latched on to that from sort of sempaternal onwards and then realized oh we can we can do that you know, the way that they do tour diaries, the way that you get a real insight into the band, the way that you kind of feel like you've been there with them at every part of the musical journey. And if you YouTube anything from Lincoln Park in the studio, there's something relatively extensive on every one of their album runs that you can go and find and you can feel like you were there in the studio with them. And you don't always get that because they're just so prolific in nature. And I think meteora was them doing that pouring all of that in but i don't think that happens sam you're absolutely right if you don't if, if they don't have that success to be able to then dictate 
but I do find that, you know, even like you look at some of the stories around what they were trying to be people, the labels were trying to make them into on hybrid theory and they, they kind of had a good idea of themselves early on, didn't they? And I think you're right. I think they probably had a really clear idea of what they wanted Meteora to be and put it out as that. And it was unapologetically what they wanted it to be. And I think if critics were saying this is an extension and what, what, you know, just a more, more produced version, it's probably exactly what they were going for from what I kind of gather in terms of their influence now absolutely on the pr front you know that you just see i think when bands either get a little bit stuck or they feel like how do we kind of merge things together here to capture a sense of heaviness but but try and step into the commercial world generally you find them taking the lincoln park model architects that you know it was the it's the first comparison isn't it you know, when Bring Me stepped into a world where they were kind of treading the radio play line, it just, it almost becomes impossible not to compare it to them. And I think it's because of that radio quality that they kind of garnered, you know. I think something else that um, Linkin Park were hugely impactful on, and especially a lot of the songs on Meteor would have played into this. So I'm talking, uh, I'm talking specifically Numb, somewhere I belong, from the inside, breaking the habit, right? These are all deeply emotional songs in an era that was just coming out of, like, new metal kind of... There was still a lot of, like, quote-unquote rock stars in new metal, right? You had larger-than-life figures like John Davis and um, and Fred Durst and, uh, you know, even bands like Mudvayne and stuff doing all of the kind of, like, I guess, like, shock rock get ups and things whereas you had linkin park coming at you from this emotional connection angle really paving the way for bands like don't get me wrong, music has always been you know people bearing their soul at you but for a long time especially with rock music and metal music it was about who had the biggest bollocks um and linkin park weren't about that and they started paving the way for artists to come out and just bear their soul again even in a heavier genre of music you know even when you've got distorted guitars and raps laying over the top of it um they were able to have that impact so bands moving forward from that were able to connect with their fans not only through their songs but like you said you know through tour diaries through fan groups they they really did connect with their fans in in on a level that i don't think any band had ever done before because they there will always be an element of um you know people looking up to musicians putting them on like these godly pedestals but linkin park was so accessible as people like you knew the intricacies of a lot of their personalities you knew what it was like to see chester smile a fan you knew what it was like to see mike's little cheeky little grin and you would see the back and forths of them cracking jokes with each other you know whether that was on stage in a in a tour video um through something they've put out in the fan club you had access to demos you you had there was just so much of it that bands going forward from that are able to be more versatile than ever before. They're able to present those kind of things in the public eye. And I think uh, like leading slightly on from that, that's why when you hear a track like Lost, um, which, you know, it's the first new track we've heard Chester on since they put out One More Light. Um, I think... I think with the hybrid theory demos, I don't believe we got anything new from the vault. I might be wrong. Um, 
there was a there was a couple but they'd been they'd circulated a little bit before hadn't they they were sort of more you demos rather than finished tracks from the vault like whereas like this song when you hear it and it hits you hard because all of everything i just spoke about comes back if you paid attention to linkin park from any point from hybrid theory all the way up until one more light and you hear that vocal and that emotional outpour on lost chester's massive chorus the way his voice strains the 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 lyricism of like i'm you know of lost literally the meaning of the song knowing that we now don't have him here with us it hits you like a truck um and it, it's deep and it's powerful and it reignite even if i i hadn't listened to linkin park in a little while um they'd been i have this tendency not to listen to bands that aren't like actively touring and that kind of thing but obviously i got excited because lost was coming out i was like oh my god it's a new linkin park song like never before heard um and i listened to it and it just reignited my undying love for linkin park it doesn't matter how distant from them i i get in my life there is always going to be like a good 10 years or so that I was this mega fan for that band where they meant the world to me and they shaped me as a human being. And you hear these new tracks and it comes back. It literally comes back. Um, and we've, we've still got, I think like seven more unheard tracks to go. Plus a couple of demos on this, um, this upcoming song, which is crazy um, that we're going to get more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you talk from a place of of what that will mean for so many fans, which talks to the unsurprising success of Lost and then yeah. fighting myself the two singles that have been out at the moment because they they take you right back. And you know, there's other there's other deep cuts that are accessible for there for Chester through like Grey Days. And Sam and I have discussed the the Grey Days albums on on this podcast before. Um and they were really special, but you know, because it, it, that kind of proves to me though that this this release on Meteora isn't just about or isn't just carried by the loss of Chester, and also talks to how important that was for people at the time. That capturing emotion and that capturing something that is relatable, and that's carried all the way through twenty years on. It's just taking people right back there, isn't it? And I think that's a testament to how important this is, how important they know this is. Uh, and I think it would have been that important if Chester was here or not. But now, hearing Chester's voice in a time where he was considered to be in his absolute prime with these songs that at the time had a real meaning to him and now take on a whole new meaning is so fucking special, man. Like you can't, you're not going to be able to re replace that experience, whether you haven't listened to Linkin Park for a year, two years, or since the album came out. I think it's going to be something that really sort of grabs you when it comes out on Friday. Sam, anything to uh, add before I wrap it up, bud? I think, no, I think, I think you summed it up really, really nicely. I think it speaks to the impact that I've continued to have. And I think Elliot's, Personal eulogy speaks to the um the relationship they're still maintaining with the fans. I think the touch on something that's really really important is that when you listen to these lyrics again from this period of time, it's just incredibly sad when you look back and think he was writing about depression and isolation for like two decades. You know what I mean? Like that every every song 
<laughs> and these two records that he had he had the lead writing role in are all really, really misanthropic, really, really tough. And now, as Elliot points out, in the context of what's recent, obviously what recently happened with his passing away, just incredibly sad. Incredibly sad. Even, it's um, horrible to think it's not even that recent anymore. Like that mm, time has blown. No. Man. Even like yeah, it six years. Yeah. Seven. Eight. Twenty sixteen. Anyway, there. But yeah, even oh, even seven. you know, like fast forward. I'm twenty seven right now, right? Fast forward another twenty twenty five years. If you was to, you know, maybe we'll get anniversary releases for the other records. But if you were to put on Lost specifically or any song from Meteora, doesn't matter how far in my life I get. And I think I speak for, again, a, a huge majority of the Linkin Park fan base when I say this. It will transport you straight back to how you were feeling when you were a Linkin Park fan, when they when they were still here with us, when they were still touring, when they were wherever you were, if you were lucky enough to be in the time span that that band was active so that they meant something to you. And it doesn't matter what album you came in on. Um, listening back to these old songs and the, the new slash from the vault songs they're going to take you straight back to that place and they're going to make you reminisce and realize that yeah they were um you know singing about especially if you're a teenager you know you have a lot of emotions at that point in your life coming out you're not really knowing where to turn linkin park were almost kind of like a rock for a lot of people the, the i cannot tell you the amount of comments i've seen from people linkin park saved my life you know your music saved me all of that kind of thing from from linkin park fans um myself included you know there would have been a point in my life where i would have considered linkin park to have almost been like a guiding light for me when i didn't know how to process deeper emotions properly especially negative ones they kind of take that and almost like their music just tells you like it's okay like we we, we everyone feels this at some point like you can get through this like it's and that hold that it has on the fans of the band i think will remain for as long as linkin park fans still live i also love the idea that i would hope uh given the, the commercial success of lost that you might have new fans stumble upon that and do what mm. you did Elliot on on minutes and do what yeah. I did on a thousand suns and and track back through and how special that's going to be for those people stumbling back on it and then almost joining that that level like it, I think more than anything else the fact that they can somehow live on is just yeah. it's a beautiful beautiful thing isn't it I and mean, if people can still get into you know nirvana these days like young kids yeah. are growing up still listening to nirvana and all kinds of bands that aren't there anymore i don't see why linkin park shouldn't be yeah, part of that totally agree. totally agree uh lads this has been uh, an absolute pleasure to sit down in an evening and uh discuss this with you i feel we haven't even talked about how special incredible the tracks are we haven't done any kind of review um we've just sort of poured over the album but that that you know in general and what it meant and that's kind of you know what i'd hope to do with it so Thank you both for that. If you're still with us at this point, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Noise UK or Noise Podcast Network. Uh, please give us a follow, subscribe. Anything goes a very long way. Uh, comment, do whatever. Shout at Sam. He usually gets that. So that's he's, he's okay. With it. <laughs> True, it's happening so much more. Um, but yeah, no, we, um, we really appreciate it. 
and uh, and and if you have any thoughts on Meteora, comment below because uh, if you like it as much as us, then chat to us about it. But yeah, we're we're the Noise Podcast. Cheers. <laughs>